Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. So friends, I, I want to talk with you about power today. I have gone up against what seemed to be insurmountable odds. And I've done it in every phase of life. Sometimes I saw it coming and I talked myself out of even trying before the struggle began. Because I looked at what I had and offered and what the adversary had and offered and there was just no way. And I've been in fights and that sort of thing when, and, and they're not necessarily physical, they come in a lot of different ways. And, and, I, and I realized uh, that I, I thought I had supreme confidence, I thought, you know, I can do this. Then I got involved in it and found out that I was up against an adversary that was a lot stronger than I thought. And, and it's interesting to me how we have a resolve to fight when we're winning. But when we aren't, it's difficult to remain in the fight. And we begin to doubt and we begin to think, maybe I should just, uh, you know, cut my losses and run. Retreat. Maybe it's to never come back and try again. Maybe it's to go uh, reconcile my, my resources and forces and come try again. And sometimes it's just to be on a dead run and, and, and never even want to begin that again. Been there. There have been many mountains that I've had to climb. I remember uh, if anybody, any, any Marines went to boot camp in San Diego, you, you know what I'm talking about. Because Mount Smokey and Mount Mother, <laughs> those things twice and once at night on both of them loaded with packs. And I'm going to tell you, you think you can't do it. And you're sure you can't do it. And you pray and you hope that you're not the one that goes down. Because if one person goes down, it seems like everybody starts going down. And I used to say, and, and listen, and this is a time when I was, you know, running from God anyway. And I remember distinctly one night going up this mountain. I couldn't see a darn thing in front of me except for the pack of the Marine in front of me, or the recruit in front of me. And I could hear the tinkling of all the gear of all the guys around me. It wasn't just us. It was, it was several platoons going together. And I remember saying, Lord, don't let it be me. Don't let me be the one that falls. Don't let me be the one that goes down. Because I didn't want to face the wrath of my drill instructors. That's the reason why I didn't want to go down. 
You see, there's a lot of things that motivate us in life. Oftentimes it's fear. Fear of reprisal. Fear of the consequences. And fear of failure. And it really doesn't matter which one it is. The fear is the same. And as I begin to think about that, I, I thought, okay, there's this massive debate in our nation. This massive debate about separation of church and state. I hear it continually. And, and there's really no middle of the road here. Either you believe that the church and the state ought to be separated completely and that the church ought to mind its own business, the state ought to have its business, okay, and that one ought not meddle in the other. And most people that believe that way, they think that churches ought to lose their tax-exempt status and ought to pony up just like everybody else. Or you come to the other side of the spectrum and people will say, <clears throat> well, the state should never meddle in the affairs of the church because that's what the early fathers had in mind. But the state ought to always be under the influence of the church, which represents a higher power, which is God. And there's, again, there's no middle of the road. Sometimes people flirt a little bit outside of it, but basically those are the thought processes that we have. And I, and I struggle with this because we come to this context of power again. And I, I ask one simple question, and it really doesn't matter what you've always believed, what seems reasonable and plausible, and it doesn't matter what arguments people want to bring to the table. Here's what I will ask you. What is the highest power in the universe? That answers all the questions. And those that believe that the state ought to have authority outside of the church do not believe in a power higher than themselves. That's a fact. You know what really is stunning? That the majority of Americans are beginning to believe that. And when that happens, friends, now it begins to snowball downhill. And when that happens, we become a nation that's no longer under God. And when we not, are not under God, we will no longer remain indivisible. For we become a nation divided. And every military strategist, every military commander, every coach of any sport, a team sport, Every company CEO, every supervisor, every person that has any type of authority over people in a team concept understands this, this very easily. If you are divided, you are in serious trouble uh, in any struggle, in any marketing plan, in any fight. In any contest, 
in anything. Every fiber of my being, when I went through learning, not only as an NCO, but as an officer in the Marine Corps, I learned one thing. And I've, and, I've, and, I've, and I've taken this with me all the way into business as an executive vice president of a pretty decent-sized printing corporation, and even as a pastor in the church, I have learned one thing, that when you begin to find your base or your force divided, and the whoever you are fighting, whoever you're struggling, whoever you're playing, whatever it happens to be, if it's a game or whatever it is, the fact is you need to uh, stop back up, you need to regroup your team or your forces to go at it again. Because if you're divided and you're cut off, you will be flanked from side to side, and then they will eventually get around you, and now you're surrounded. And it's a no-win when that happens. And I have news for you, the enemy is very good at that. The Bible is filled and clear about the sheep, <laughs> and how as sheep we should never want to find ourselves outside of protection of not only the shepherd, but of the rest of the sheep. And yet the Bible also tells us that the enemy is there hoping just for that, when you're not looking, when you're not expecting it when you're off by yourself and didn't know it. Again and again and again, I've seen it, I've felt it, I've been there, I've experienced it, and I've seen other people do it, and it never ends well. And you know what I'm talking about, don't you? So let's talk about this for a minute. This is uh, Sermon 3 in a five-sermon series on why Jesus came. You might be thinking, well, there's only four Sundays of Advent. Why five? Because Christmas Eve. And that's a, a, an amazing message that night, so you won't miss that. God has something incredible He wants to teach you there. But these things all go together, and they all come from the book of Hebrews, and they're all, I, I, still, I still can't get over how amazing these are. And, I, and I've been praying repeatedly and specifically for every single one of you that you would understand and get what the author of Hebrews was trying to say. And that God would enlighten you to a point that you, the spiritual depth that you have would not only get deeper, but it would broaden in the base and it would widen. And you would begin to see things more clearly in the spiritual realm that you have not before. Friends, we live in two realms. We live in the physical, metaphysical realm of humanity, and then we live in the spiritual realm. And most people, if they're not believers, do not understand it at all. Don't even see it but I've seen it. Have you? I know that there are two distinct powers, and both of them are vying for my attention. One of them is the light, and the other one is not. It's real simple. And so as I preface that this morning, I will say to you that Jesus came for a lot of reasons, but one of them, and this morning I'm going to talk about it, to break the power of our arch enemy, Satan. He came to break Satan's power. Now, 
I could go on about this literally. This could easily be the longest message in the series, but it's not going to be. Because I had four or five pages of notes, and I've whittled it down to two. And the reason is because I, I felt the Lord telling me, make it simplistic today. Because if we go into all the little branches of it, what will happen is we'll become confused more than we should be. Because if we get the basis here, the branches will come clear. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2, scroll down to verse 14. I'm going to look at the passage in the New American Standard. You, if you have an ESV, you'll find it to be nearly identical. If you have a Holman Christian Standard or a Christian Standard, you will find it to be, again, very similar. If you have a New Revised Standard, it will probably be very similar. Uh, some of the others will be a little bit different in their verbiage and word usage, but they mean the same. But I use this because I like the way it's laid out specifically, and that's what the words mean. Hebrews 2, verse 14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood. Did you grasp that? Since the children share in flesh and blood. Now, that's got to be believers. That's got to be you and me who are attached to the living God. We share in flesh and blood. He himself also partook of the same, that through death, this, this proves Jesus' vulnerability as a human. You understand? Okay? Jesus clearly could die a human death, and He did. He didn't have to. It couldn't have been forced upon Him. He chose it. He submitted Himself. He allowed it. You understand that? Okay? He partook in the same death that every human shall one day or could one day meet. You understand that? Okay? Got to grasp this. He partook of the same that through death he might render powerless. Or he might destroy the power, defeat the authority, put down this power or authority. Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. He's saying that there are people because of the fear of death, have been subject to slavery, who have been made slaves, who have uh, allowed an authority to control their thoughts, their fears, their anxieties. And sometimes it's through ignorance or lack of experience. The fact is it doesn't really matter how it's happened, it just has. The writer of Hebrews is brilliant in this delivery. 
For the writer, in my opinion, and I, and I dare say and suspect that there will be many others who would agree with me, probably people way more smarter than I am, those of old and those of new, who would be considered scholars in theology. I suspect that they would agree with me that the writer here, to put these words on paper, to communicate this concept to people, would had to have had some type of encounter that is in depth or a broad range of dialogue with something more than human understanding. The writer would have had to have an encounter with, with either Christ himself or by the power of the Spirit of Christ, something was communicated to this individual before he penned these words that told him the depths of things that humanity did not know and still today sometimes does not understand. Somebody learned something this deeper than what the Bible seems to spell out to us. Because it's the only place that I can find that it puts this perspective in place. Now, I know what I'm saying to you today seems to be awful broad and awful deep. Let me explain it to you another way. So two weeks ago, we learned that Jesus came to be our substitute. Agreed? We learned that all of humankind, regardless of age or how long that they have been on earth, are sinners. Let that, I want that to seep into your, into your head for a minute. Because sure enough, there's somebody on the planet today that's going to say, no way is a newborn infant a sinner. No way. And I tell you, yes, they are. You're telling me an infant that has never made any decisions whatsoever about good and evil deserves death. And I said, no, I'm not telling you. That's what the Word of God says. And that means every single person, including a brand spanking new infant, all the way to the oldest human ever on the face of the planet, needed a Savior. Every single one ever born. I'll go deeper than that. Everyone ever conceived. This is my concept. This is what the Word of God says. And you can see why in our humanity, we can say, that doesn't make sense. I can see people that's been on, you know, on the earth for a little bit, they've made some decisions, probably bad ones, and they might deserve that. But a brand spanking new one, even one conceived still in the womb? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it says. And as I get deeper into the Word, I understand why. We're going to talk about that today. Put that back on the back burner for a minute. Because the Bible says that we've all fallen short of the expectations of our Maker, of the God of the universe. Yes? And we have been found guilty of disobedience, and all of us deserve death. It doesn't say we're going to have it. It doesn't say we're going to reach it. It says we deserve it. Yes? And again, it doesn't matter how good of a person you think you are. 
or you think someone else is. Nor does it or will it matter if you are an infant or an elderly person. I say that again because, again, people are doing this. They're thinking, but, and they're, and they're making excuses for lack of experience. And, and, and we can't. We can't. Jesus came to be your Savior. And He came to take your place of guilt and transgression and fallenness. But only if you will accept Him and then trust Him and obey Him. And then we likewise found out last week that once we do this, God desires something from us. Once we've accepted who we are and who He is, and then accepted the gift that He offered to absolve us of our sin, to take away our guilt, to take away the penalty that we rightfully ought to have, regardless of our age or experience, now we find that God expects us to move forward in His demands and commands. And that He wants to actually sanctify us, which we found means make us holy as He is. In other words, God wants humanity, those who've chosen Him, to be like Him in every way. And the enemy is all around us in this figure eight constantly telling us, but you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, because He's God and nobody can ever be like God. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you put in it, no matter who you are, you can't do it. And the answer is, in your own strength, no, you can't. But I have found that the Bible is correct and true. And when I see that all things are possible through God, I have experienced it proves to me that that is true, and I've done it. I know it. That sometimes I don't even know how it happened. I just know it did. I mean, I know God did it, but how He did it, I'm not sure. And then I begin to think it doesn't really matter. He's God. So God wants to make us holy in this life. You see, some people believe we're not going to be holy or like God or sanctified until we get to heaven, and that's too late. God wants it now. He wants it here. And He gave us the means to make that happen, which is why Christ Himself gave us the power of the Holy Spirit. He gave us the gift of that. Are you following me so far? And on top of that, He sent the Christ to do that. You see, Jesus didn't come just to save you. He came to sanctify you to make you holy. That was another part of His coming. And today, we're going to find out that the enemy wants to deter you from being holy. He wants to keep you from becoming like God because you think you can't, or you think you don't have time, or you think you don't, you don't have, the, you don't have the, the skill, or you won't have the effort. What, all of those things and more. And it's true that the enemy wants to keep you from it, But Jesus also came thirdly to break his power 
so that you can. He came to break the authority and power that Satan has over you. And it's pretty obvious to all of us that God knew all this from the beginning. For he set out the plan. Hence the plan. And he also seemed to know from the beginning that this might prove very difficult for some people. Maybe even all of us. For we have an arch enemy that will stop at nothing to keep us from being under God's saving power and his grace. And so God sent his son to do something about that. And that's where we find ourselves now in this series. So let's move into something that is probably the last thing we like to talk about. The very last thing that most people ever want to talk about is death. How, how many of you in here really don't like to talk about it? Come on, be honest. And my question is, why don't you really like to talk about it? As if I didn't know the obvious. I mean, what, why not? I will never forget the day that I stood talking to a funeral director. I, of course, you know, I've worked in funeral homes, uh, you know, a long time. It's been a, well, it's been a long time since I've been in one, worked in one. But I did it for a while. And, and I've seen it all. I've done it all. I'm telling you. I know. There's nothing about it I don't know. And, and I've told you before that I did it because I had a fear of it. And I forced myself to do it so that I would lose my fear. And, and I did. And I, and I did lose it. I lost my fear of it. But it isn't because I worked there. That probably helped, but that wasn't the reason. See, God did something in me that helped me realize that hum, human physical death is, is nothing. God advanced my understanding in Him. It's, 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 it's crazy how God uses things, you know? When you think one way and God allows you to go in what you think would work and then He does something else to prove to you that that, didn't, that wasn't it. But He used it to get you there. And he did that with me. And I remember at, you know, at, at, when I was a pastor at Decatur Wesleyan, uh, again, I had a good relationship with the funeral directors in town, uh, par partially because pastors, you know, but also because I, I had experience in, in the industry. And so I got along with them. And I remember uh, the funeral director that was not real, the funeral home was just a, a block or two away from the church. He, would, he had a key to the, the church and he would bring flowers, you know, for Sunday morning services when they had way too many for a funeral. And I would just walk in and there would be, <laughs> you know. And some people don't even like the smell of flowers or going to a flower shop because it reminds them of funerals. My wife just told me that the other day. And, I, and I, I've had other people. Anybody else feel like that? It reminds you of that. It makes you sad. And sometimes he would bring arrangements and put them on the altar in the area and, and they really didn't match what you know, a church service. They, they were more for a, a funeral, you know. But, but it's okay. But I remember talking, his name was Dave, I won't tell you his last name. And, and I remember one time he said this to me. We're talking about spirituality. It was clear to me that Dave wasn't really a Christian. I mean, Dave identified with being a Christian, but he didn't 
it really wasn't at the beginning of his life. It wasn't the first thing he did. It wasn't, he identified as a Christian, I guess, but he didn't really live it out. Because Dave thought that going to church was being a Christian. Because when I asked him about it, he said, oh, you know, I go to St. Mark's. It was a United Methodist church in town. I go to St. Mark's. I didn't ask you that. I asked you about your spirituality. And he responded that he went to church at St. Mark's. I wonder how many people do that. When, when they're asked if, they, if they're a Christian or what, about their faith, well, I, I go to such and such. I didn't ask you that. That's not the answer. And I don't think that's a good enough answer. And if someone asks me about my faith, I'm not going to say, well, I'm the pastor of Free Life Community Church. Because no more can I automatically assume that if you attend someplace or pastor someplace, that you have faith in here. Because to me, there's a big difference between going to church and living your spirituality. Okay? And this is what we're, we're talking about. So his answer, you know, and of course, you know me, I didn't let him off the hook either. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, it went down to this one point. And I realized very quickly that Dave struggled with a seemingly loving God who allowed people to struggle on earth to the culmination of sometimes an ugly, ugly or difficult physical death. And he saw it all the time. And he said this to me. He said, well, death is death and it comes to all. And I looked at him and I said, it does not. No, it doesn't. And he looked at me like, look, dummy. Okay. I, I, I run this place. I see it every day. And I'm telling you, it does. And, and, and furthermore, you, you, you worked in this industry. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, he didn't say it. That was on his face. And I looked right back at him, and I, and, and, and I, and I said this. You, 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 need, you need to get out of the crystal ball or the ball that you're in and look, and look, and look at the bigger picture here. Because you've been, in, you've been in here too long, and you're missing what's really out there. And you know, we had a good relationship, but we never broached it again because he wasn't ready. And I'm hoping that somebody eventually did because here's what happens. Friends, I, I agree with what Dave said, that there is this fact of death. There's no question about it, okay? I've seen it. I've watched it. I've been involved and I've been around it, and the, the Bible even talks about it. I, I know that death is a real thing, yeah? Okay. Death, my friends, came to humankind, though, because of our disobedience. Okay, you, you have to understand where it all came from. God didn't automatically think that up. In fact, death wasn't in God's plan. He created the first humans, and death was not in His plan. Did you hear what I said? Okay. God told Adam and Eve that they could eat from any tree in the garden, but they could not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You, you agree with that? I mean, how many of you knew that that's true? Okay. In fact, he says it specifically. 
You must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God said that forthwith to Adam and Eve. He did. It's right there. Interestingly, the Hebrew word used and the phrase used there about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that's a phrase, but it really is only a two-part word, or that's actually a three-part word, depending on how you pronounce it, in the Hebrew. But it can also be translated desire, and is translated desire, which means we could call the tree that God commanded them not to eat from, it could be translated or referred to as a tree of desire. Now that might make a little more sense to you and open the door to more clarity because this makes my mind, and I suspect yours as well, wander just a little bit. Because up to this point, Adam had no self-interest and no self-desire that I can see. In fact, his sole objective was to serve his Creator. And as such, he also had, that I can find, no motivation to eat from the tree of life because God hadn't directed him to do it, and there was no need. He had eternal life as it was. So why did he need to go eat from it? Because the fact is, if you would eat from the tree of life, if you ate from it, you would have eternal life at that moment. You would never die from eating from it. That's why no humans ever partaken of it. They could have. It was there in the center of the garden. But God never told them to go do it because there was no need for them to do it. Until they ate of the tree God said not to eat from. And then all of a sudden they understood, see. And then God said, well, we're going to have to throw them out of the garden and block the entrance because now that mankind has fallen and has fallen away from me, he has now fallen into a physical realm of death, which will surely happen to him. We have to block the entrance to the garden, lest he go into the middle of the garden and now partake of the tree of life and never die. <laughs> okay? Yeah? You understand here. But we've got to go back a little bit. Only... Upon Adam's consumption from the tree of desire, was God concerned that he would have an urge to eat from the tree of life, and therefore God took preventative measures to prevent that from occurring because man chose death. He chose it. God said, Don't do it. Man said, Well, you know. Because if he had eaten from the tree of life instead of the tree of knowledge or the tree of desire. And he could have. He would never have died. It doesn't mean that once after him, we don't know what God's plan would have been had Adam and Eve done the right things. We don't know if there would have been childbirth and it would have been, no, it would have been painless. We don't know how procreation would have worked. We only know that since the fall, how it happens. Because God said, well, now that you've done this, you will bear children, but you're going to have pain doing it. And let me tell you something. If you're a parent, it doesn't matter if you, you birth them or not. You have pain. <laughs> children cause pain sometimes, don't they? 
Come on. Okay. So you, you can see we don't know how it might have been, but we do know how it is now. So I want to take a closer look at this. Take a closer look with me. It's almost like what we're doing. Have you ever uh, uh, been on a sightseeing tour and you're looking out at this beautiful, uh, you know, landscape and then you find that in, in, in certain strategic areas, there's like uh, these binoculars that you could put a quarter in or what? Probably now it's, it's a buck. I don't know. And you, and you look and you can see closer at, or see a, a, get a better look at it. Have you done that? So I want you to do that. I want you to get a closer look here with me. Because I think sometimes we miss some of this. I've been excited to bring this, this message to you for months now because I think this is really going to open some eyes. And I want you to get that. You see, Adam from the beginning had no internal drive to deviate from God's command. Can we establish that? So there had to have been an external influence, right? In fact, we know that there was. It was the serpent, right? It was the serpent that ensnared Adam and caused him to sin. I mean, man chose, but the serpent was there telling him, well, you know, okay, you can, you, you guys can say, well, you know, Eve started it. Well, hey, the they were both there. She's just the one that had the dialogue with him. And Adam kind of being, you know, kind of absent and taking the lead role here, kind of stood back and like, oh, I wonder how this is going to work out. Where he should have been up there and saying, no, 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 you deal with me. And I stand with him away from me, away from us, and took her away. But he didn't. A sermon for another day. In fact, you've gotten that sometimes. But it's happened now. And so the serpent made no effort to entice Adam or Eve to eat from the tree of life, notice. He made no effort for them to do that. He didn't try to get them, hey, look at this tree. What do you think of this one? He didn't do that. And that would because that one would have been okay with God that they ate from it. God said, don't eat from this one. And there, by the way, we believe in proximity side by side. <laughs> it's almost like it's kind of like life, isn't it? You're, you're you're enticed to do this, and God's saying do this. It's almost like my grandmother used to tell me that, you know, you've got the, the devil on one shoulder and, and you've got your guardian angel on the other. That's not exactly the way it works, Grandma. Bless, rest her soul. But, but I understand what she's talking about. Okay? I can almost do that. And she had to tell me which one you're going to listen to. Which one are you looking at? And my question to us is why do we seem to want to go toward the evil one all the time? But it's happening in life. Everything I do in life, everything you do in life, there's a decision, a choice to be made, isn't there? And we seem to want to gravitate toward the one that's the most enticing. The one that's got the best argument. I know that because 
right now I'm trying to do everything I can not to eat certain things. And I'm telling you, it's difficult to do when that, you know, that dessert that I love so much is right in front of me. I can choose to partake and say, well, it's not, it's just one dessert, it's not a big deal. And probably it's not. But my tendency is to want more and do it more often. When the best decision is to not touch it at all. Because the goal is to lose weight. You don't lose weight when you're eating enough calories and taking in calories. That you, you know, I mean, the general, the general rule of thumb is, you know, you should maintain a 2,000 calorie a day diet. My problem was I was taking four and 5,000 a day and maybe more than that. And I'll bet you most of you are doing the same thing. And if you want to lose weight, take in less than 2,000 calories a day. You don't even really have to do anything more than that. You can lose weight doing it. Exercise will make it work better, yeah? And I, I don't want to get involved. No, I'm just telling you, it's a, it's a fact. It's, it's physics. It's truth. And, and, and he, here's, here's the enemy telling us, and let's go to the spiritual side of this, and saying, look, okay, just like he did to them, he's doing it to you and me. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? I mean, the enemy's never there. Hey, you, know, you know, God did say to you, don't do the things that are bad for you. He, he never tells me that. He didn't tell them that. He doesn't tell me that. Why didn't the enemy or the serpent entice them to eat from the tree of life? Well, because his goal was to cause Adam to sin, not be a... And God had commanded Adam not... To had not commanded Adam not to eat from the tree of life. He just said, no, don't eat from the tree of, tree of desire. So here's a serpent in the tree of desire, which is, of course, that's where he was, saying, oh, did God really say that? I mean, look at this, right? I mean, if it wasn't good for you, then why did God put it here? Why would it look so beautiful? Why would it look so enticing? Why? If it's so bad for you, what's it here for? Friends, I, I find two ear incontrovertible facts. One, Adam had no desire to go against God until Satan prompted him to. And along that, after Adam sinned, he continually now has this desire to be self-centered. He's crossed the line now, he's done it, and now he can't get enough of it. So instead of wanting to please God, he now wants to please himself, and he wants to please his wife, and later he wanted to please his children. And oftentimes, here's the deal, himself, his wife, and his children, the desire to please them was greater than the desire to please God, and they came before God did. Of course, that doesn't happen to unite at all, does it? So notice how things change drastically. Adam even now questions God and God's commands. Doesn't he? Secondly, here's the second incontrovertible fact. Notice how the same is true for all of humankind now. Not just that we prefer to please self and others before our creator, and we do, by the way. Come on right? Not only that, but Satan continues to prompt us to eat from the tree of desire, just like he did Adam. 
And notice that Satan still does not want humankind to eat from the tree of life. He never comes to us and says, hey, why don't you, have, you, have you considered the tree of life? Have you looked at that? No, no, no. He says, eat from this tree. He, he's constantly trying. And when we go toward the tree of life, when we gravitate toward we see our need for the tree of life. Here's the enemy blocking our way and saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Okay, look, look, but look at this one. I see it all the time. Okay, I watch it all the time. When I go to vote, there's like eight different people out there, and they're all trying to get me to vote for their candidates. They're not there to give me facts. They're there to give me things to entice me to vote for their candidate. They don't want me to consider the facts because they think I'm too stupid to know the facts. This is no kidding. I, I swear, this is the truth. I, I promise you, okay? It, ha it happens in our own mall. Now, there's not much over there anymore. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. But I'll tell you what, in the food court, there are still two restaurants, and they're, they're almost identical. Two, two Asian restaurants are nearly identical, and they're side by side. And both of them are out there with samples, and they both taste about the same, and both of them are going to tell you that theirs is better. And it really, you know what it comes down to? Your preference. If you want your rice to be oranger than the other one. I'm serious. You, you can't go. Friends, I'm telling you. People are constantly trying to draw you into their product or their thing or their whatever it is. And the enemy is doing it nonstop. He's taught us to do that, and so we do it now. Now, granted, the tree of life here on earth isn't accessible to us yet. It will be. It's not right now. Adam and Eve saw to that. Okay? But the word of life is accessible to you. Every day, all the time, anytime. You, in fact, it's always available to you. Always has been. Now, whether or not you access it is up to you. Whether you access it or not is up to you, but it's available to you. It always has been. You can make every excuse under the sun for whether or not you're going to utilize it or not. And the way, the truth, and the life through Jesus' Son is accessible to you. Every time, all the time. Jesus saw to that. Satan absolutely wants to keep us as far away from the word of life and the Son of God and will do anything to make it so. You see, death entered into our lives because of disobedience, and disobedience may indeed still keep us from life. The fact of death ought to compel us to seek life, don't you think? And in order for that to happen, we must talk about death all the time and how to avoid it. But again, Satan doesn't want us to talk about death. He puts fear in us so that we won't. I just want to talk about it. Well, you should be talking about it because you can defeat it. 
because he's got you focused on the physical death when the eternal death is the one you ought to be concerned about. But he gets our focus off of that one and onto something else, you see. He's good at it. Been doing it a long time. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about the fear real briefly. Now, I realize that most everybody has feared physical death at some point in their lives. Maybe you don't now, but you have. Maybe you still do. And there have been many before us that were unable to avoid it. Right? I mean, I've got lots of loved ones that have gone on to their death already. They were unable to avoid it, yeah? And, and, and again, the older I get, the more I face my own, my own mortality. Yeah? In fact, many of us will likely not be able to avoid it. Unless Jesus comes, we're going to see it. Huh? Eventually. Physical death is certainly something to fear if you don't or haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I'll just lay it right out there. If you haven't accepted Christ, then I would say that physical death is going to be a fearful thing for you. And even if you have, it might be. It doesn't have to be, but it might be. Because dying outside of Christ causes you to face eternal death. And the Bible tells us that this death is incredibly worse than the physical one. The Bible says it's actually the second death. Revelation 21.8, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Revelation 21.8, there it is. Okay? Now, we don't know for sure all that the second death has to offer for those who experience it. We, we just don't know. Pastor Bob, do we? We really don't know for sure all of it. We only know what the Bible kind of describes to us about it, which isn't much really. Why? Because our focus ought not be on the second death. It ought to be on eternal life. Because it, what, what do you need to know about the second death if, you, if, if, if you're going to have eternal life? You don't need it because it can't envelop you, see? He only tells you you don't want it. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> what he says, you don't want it, so focus on this. I will only say this. I will say that what I do know about it isn't good. What I do know about the second death isn't good. In fact, Jesus said we would absolutely not want to see it, and I believe him, so I have an idea <laughs> about this. And I thought, well, how about let's talk about this second death to the point that we're so fearful of it that we decide we don't want it. How about, how about let's do that? How about let's talk about second death and say, okay, everybody, I'm telling you, you won't want it. Oh, but for me, so what do I do about it? That's where we need to be. That's the conversation we ought to be having. And then perhaps we should choose life and life abundantly. How about, what do you think about that? How, how about choose the life that Jesus said you really want? I mean, either you trust him or you don't. I trust him. And I trust that what he says is true. And I trust that what he thinks is best for me is. Yeah? But there's too many Americans who call themselves Christians running around trusting the enemy. You see? 
Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it. Yeah. So I think, well, what do you say to that? Are you ready to talk about death so that you can be sure you have life? I, I would think that that's a good conversation. Do we, do we want to talk about death to everyone you know? Well, you should, so that they too can choose to have life. Well, yeah, so let's, let's get busy. Because that's what Jesus came for. My question to you this morning is, what did Satan come for? Did he come to give you life? Or did he come to convince you to choose death? It's real simple. Well, it's not that simple. Yes, it is. That's exactly the choice Adam and Eve were given right there in that garden that day. Two trees. Which one did they choose? Which one would you choose? Which one are you choosing? And how many people do you know are choosing the wrong one? All the time. Secondly, Christ has come to make Satan powerless. <laughs> okay. He came to make Satan powerless. So notice here, it says that Satan has power of death. He, he who had the power of death. Well, let's talk about Satan's power of death. What power, I begin to ask myself, and I think you're probably going to ask the same thing, what power really does Satan have? I mean, who wants to know? What power? I mean, come on, you guys. Wake up. What, do, you, do you not want to know what power Satan really has? Who wants to know? What power does he, does he really have? I, I want to know. The answers are here for us, but I want to really know what, and I had to think about it. What power does he really have? R right? It's a fair question. It's a good question. And it's one, I think, not only should be answered, it has been answered. <laughs> does death really belong to Satan? Does it really belong to him? Does it really? He says it does. The answer is yes, it does. In fact, he's the epitome of death. He is death. In fact, if you read the scripture in Revelation, it says that the last horse is the pale horse, and it is death. And that who, he who rode upon him brought hell and Hades with him. Now, Jesus ultimately makes that decision. But the alternative of hell and Hades comes from Satan. You understand that? He, he's who lives there or will live. It, in fact, <clears throat> it's going to be all about him. He's, that's his domain. Get that in your head. Does, does hell, does death belong to Satan? Yes, it does. Absolutely. But I don't want to be in his kingdom. Do you? And so I began to think about it. Does death belong to him? Yes. But does it really matter to the Christian? No, it really doesn't. It doesn't mean anything to the Christian because the Bible is clear that God has ultimate power. Does God have ultimate power? Do you believe that God has ultimate power? Who in here believes that God has ultimate power? Come on, guys. Okay, keep your hands up. And it, it, you, it, they won't drop. You're... you're, you're you, you, you just told the enemy that you believe God has ultimate power. My question, do you really? Get your hands up. Do you really believe that? Come on. Then you should tell that. Keep your hands up. Then you need to tell the enemy, look here. I believe that God has ultimate power, not you. 
Not only do I believe it, I know it. Keep them up. Come on, you guys. You, you ain't that lazy. Get your hands up. Now, come on. Now, now, keep your hands up because I'm going to tell you something here. The only reason that Satan has any power at all, any power at all, is because you gave it to him. Right? Come on. And we likewise continue to give him power. Get them up. Because they're dropping, they're drooping. Get them up. Let me explain this. James tells us that Satan has the power to entice us. Come on. Hold on. Come on, Moses. Get them up. Woo! Those of us on the podcast can't understand, but we'll just tell them, John, that we're, we got our hands in the air. And we find out that Moses, you know, it was a struggle to keep it up. But he, but he had a staff in his hand. What's your excuse? Right? You got nothing but your hand up. And Pastor Bob's even leaning his on the pew. <laughs> I just called him out. Man, he's doing it. I can't see. Who else is doing it? Come on. Who's doing it? My hand's still up. Who's doing it? Okay, oh, yeah, your chair, okay, now your chair. Here's the thing, okay, so Satan, okay, listen to me. James says Satan has the power to entice us, but we decide whether or not we're going to participate in that. Okay, we determine. He has the power to entice, but we decide to go through with it or not. James 1, 14 to 15, listen to this. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and then enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. And that's when Satan's got you. You can put him down. Really? Well, then use the other hand. But whatever. Now, we also know that only God has the power to put people in hell. Don't we? Oh, you didn't know. Oh. Friends, only God has the power to consign anyone to hell. Satan can't consign you there. You may follow him there, but he didn't consign you there. He didn't put you there. You actually decided where you're going to go. God didn't have to do anything about it. You decided. But he's the one that determines based on your own desire. God's going to give you what you want. God will give you hell or he'll give you heaven. He gave you the choice. What do you want? Here they are. Which one? Do you, you want to be with the sheep or the goats? Which one? It's up to you. Not very many people, oh, I just think I'm just going to be a goat today. We do, though. Don't have to say it. You just, you just become a goat because you just feel like being a goat today. Don't tell me because I've felt like being a goat sometimes. Come on. Come on. I don't want to be the goody two-shoes. I'm going to be a goat today. Because I feel like it. Hmm? Notice how I had to say a thing. Well, you look at me. And the daddy knows. And pastor knows more than you think I know. And I got news for you. Don't think I never did it too. Now listen. 
Yes, the people who have chosen hell chose it, but God's the only one that's got the power to put them there. That power still remains with God, no matter what. Luke 12, 4 to 5, listen to this. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You see, God also controls life and death, period. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hand. Let that permeate just for a few minutes. Who's all powerful? Is Satan all powerful? Is God? Uh -huh. Lastly, we know that the power of Satan can be broken through the power of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how powerful Satan is. He's powerful. But once you have Christ, his power doesn't really matter anymore. It's almost like having a GMC and a Dodge. I tell Matt that all the time. He talks about his great Dodge. I think, yeah, my, that GMC will drag your Dodge sideways, I promise you. And I'll prove it right now. I'll prove it right now because i got a three-quarter ton truck with a 6.0 in it. And I'm telling you, it'll take that, v, that straight six and drag it across the parking lot. I know it for a fact. No question about it. And you know what? Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Yeah, because it's not a straight six to V6, it's a 350. And also, it moved that three quarter ton this morning. You just don't know it. You know what I found out? Matt, Matt has needs a, a dose of reality because he's, he's clueless. He knows for a fact it never happened. Now, all I'm saying, see, we all have our opinion, but, you know, you cannot, weight is weight, and horsepower is horsepower. Right? That's all I'm going to say. But, but here, here, and I didn't, okay, see, Matt, you know what? Okay. Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm keep focused. Jesus told Paul this was true when he appeared to Paul and appointed him on the road to Damascus, the Damascus road. Yeah? We know this is true, that the power of Satan can be broken through the power of Jesus Christ. He told Paul this. Listen, Acts 26, 18. He said, I want to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in me. See how these things go together? He told Paul that. First time it ever been said. And then in Revelation 1, 17 to 18, listen to this. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And listen to this. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. <laughs> well, if that's true, Jesus... And your power is, is more than Satan's power. And Satan does what you tell him. What you open, no one can shut. And what you close, no one can open. Hmm? The Bible tells us that. 
So whatever ideas we have about Satan's power, we have to understand that God is all-powerful. He alone usurped Satan's power. In fact, he gave Satan the power in the first place, and he can destroy Satan's power, and he is. Did you hear that? No. Let's talk about Christ's destruction of Satan's power. Clearly, God has authority and power over Satan. In fact, he judges Satan. He found him to be guilty, and he will condemn him to eternal hell. Yes or no? Revelation 20.10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown as well. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, you tell me what that means. I think he knows his doom. Yeah? Okay. Now, God also told us that we would be at odds with Satan for as long as humans would be on this earth. Did you know that? Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We're always going to be at odds with Satan, period. We chose it when we chose to listen to him. And that goes to, to the end of time, okay? But Jesus came to destroy Satan's power over humanity even while we live on this earth. 1 John 3, 8, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. See how they all go together? Isaiah the prophet told us this was going to happen. Isaiah 25, 8, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away their tears from all their faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And the Bible clearly tells us that Christ came to destroy Satan's power, not only on this earth, but for eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 to 26, and 2 Timothy 1.10, listen carefully. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. There's your answers. They're bold-faced. They're right there. They're not debatable. They are there. Clearly, God's authority is greater than Satan's. Yes, we've given Satan power over us, and it's increasingly difficult to break free from it since it comes from our own evil desire, but God has told us we absolutely can resist, just as he told Cain he could resist. Genesis 4-7 in the contemporary English version, if you had done the right thing, you would be smiling, but you did the wrong thing, and now sin is waiting to attack you like a lion. Sin wants to destroy you, but you must not let it. Hmm? Since we can defeat Satan through God's power, friends, that means that the believer has freedom from fear of death. You have freedom from it. You, you, you don't have to fear it anymore. Well, why would you? If God has all authority, what should we fear? If you belong to him and he's got all authority, your, your, your daddy's got it, right? You're with your daddy. I mean, <laughs> if we belong to him, we gain eternal life. Revelation 7, 17, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I mean, <laughs> friends, I know that all of us love life on earth. I, I, I get it. We enjoy each day that God gives us, but we also know that either that life will eventually end, whether in physical death or the return of Christ, but either way, a life way better than this one awaits. Uh, way better. Just because you haven't experienced it yet, you're going to question that when God's 
answered every question you've ever had before? And this life is never going to end, by the way. Revelation 21, 1 to 4. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We shouldn't wait till funerals to talk about that. We shouldn't wait for funerals to mention that. Amen? And as our worship team comes, listen to this. Friends, death may indeed be the last thing we want to talk about. And yet it comes to all of us until Jesus returns. Whether we realize it or not, Christ came to break the power of Satan, including the power of death. Now, I want you to think about your own death here for a minute. Okay? What questions and fears do you have? What questions and fears about your death do you have? Are you ready for this unbreakable appointment? Should it come before he returns? Christ came so that through death he might render powerless him who had the power over, over death. That is the devil. That's what we learned this morning. In what ways does Satan have and use the power of death? Christ broke, he set aside, he abolished the powers of Satan when he came as one of us. He died for us and then was raised from the dead. And I think, thank God, that Satan no longer had the right to enslave and destroy any of us by the fear of death or by any of his works. Because Christ took on humanity in order to be our Savior and free us from death, from sin and Satan's power. Christmas is almost here. And when we celebrate Christ's birth and is delivering us from bondage, and I began to think about that, and I thought, you know, are there family, friends, and neighbors that we can bring with us to Christmas Eve or Christmas morning services? Why? Because they need to learn that Jesus came. And he came to do an awful lot of things. And all of those things we need. And it doesn't matter when in this series they come, as long as they understand that Jesus came for them. Remember Psalm 23, New Living Translation, the Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows, he leads me beside peaceful streams, he renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. And even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Why? Because you're close to me. Your rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Oh, yes, indeed he will. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. I don't deserve it, but you do it anyway. My cup overflows with blessings. Might not notice them, but they're there. Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and they have. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, I will. And so will you, if you choose it. It's up to you. Satan is powerful, but Christ came to break his power.